Welcome to No Picks After Dark, Baltimore Sun's best podcast of 2020, voted by you, the listeners. No Picks After Dark seeks to build a community based on human experience, storytelling, and conversation. Now your host, Aaron Dante. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today, we have a very, very special guest. I've been trying to get this person on the show for quite a while. This guy is pretty busy, so I I know his time is precious. So before we get into everything, I want to make sure everybody knows this is a very important guest. I really appreciate him coming on again. Um, Without further ado, hello to Baltimore City Council President, Brandon Scott. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, brother. How are you today? Oh, um, it's blessed, man. It's a blessing to uh, be here and just you know have to have time, thirty minutes with you, just to talk and uh, get people to know who you are on the No Picks of Dark podcast. And uh, yes, sir, really- I look forward to it. And I hope your family's healthy and safe. I appreciate that. Thank you, as well as for you. So, Council President, my fa- I have an audience that spans from Baltimore to Philadelphia, to California, all over. I want people to get to know who you are. And this is what this is about, getting to know who you are as council president. Are you from Baltimore? Um, to things of that nature, what is your job title, you know, at Baltimore City? You know, what do you do every day and day out? Give her a quick background before we get into the meat of the of the questions. Well, to your first question, yes, I'm Baltimore born, Baltimore bred. When I die, I'll be a Baltimore dead. Uh, I have I've always lived in Baltimore, uh, born and raised here, grew up in Park Heights. The only time I spent outside of the city was uh, when I was away at college and living in St. Mary's County, which is that not that far from Baltimore, but always grew up here, grew up in Park Heights, uh, which is really what shaped me uh, uh, in my wanting to serve. When you grow up in a neighborhood where you see your first shooting before your 10th birthday, when you go to school to no heat and air, when you lose friends, see people uh, struggle with addiction and alcoholism. And uh, when you live in a neighborhood with the world, that the world descends on for Preakness Saturday and then the rest of the year you're forgotten, it changes you and make you make a decision whether you're going to accept that how life has to be or you can do something to do change it. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for giving that background. So growing up in Baltimore, like, what are some of your greatest memories growing up? I mean, I'm originally from Baltimore also, and my greatest memory is going to 33rd Street and hanging out and seeing the Orioles game getting peanuts. Yeah. That used to be the spot, 33rd Street. Everybody would go there, Green Mile. I got a lot of great memories and growing up in Baltimore, man. A lot of them are are, uh, either at Memorial Stadium, not just with the Orioles, but actually uh, my family, we had season tickets to the CFL team, the Stallions, and then saw the Ravens play there when they first came here. Of course, uh, growing up here in Baltimore and being a a athlete myself, uh, running track at Mervo, uh, us being able to win uh, city and regional championships, being a junior Olympian, that's a, those are the great memories for me. Even regular neighborhood uh, moments, right? I remember I was telling this story to someone the other day. We were visiting my neighborhood 
uh, uh, with a, a TV station who wanted to see actually where I grew up and behind my house, there was this church lot that we used basically as our stadium where we would play basketball, football and, and baseball there, uh, depending on what season it was, what, what sport was in season and it had a fence. And I just telling the story about hitting my first home run over that fence is about probably like a 175, maybe 200 feet away when I, I was like the biggest feeling I felt like. Brady Anderson at the time, because I was the leadoff hitter on the little neighborhood team. Uh, those are some great memories. And then a lot of my memories are with my family, too, man, going out to uh, Drew Hill Park. Remember when they used to have the hot air balloon race that started in Drew Hill Park, doing those kind of things, going on field trips to the aquarium, man, getting snowballs, crabs, of course, crabs and more crabs and crab cakes. From Coco's, of course, there's no other place to get them, uh, uh, getting the crabs from Captain James because there's no other place to get crabs, in my opinion. But I think that those are some of my Baltimore memories, man, just hanging out with my friends, you know, going to the Paradox, going to down, going to Mondome and Secure. I'm, I'm a true Baltimore boy, man. So I could go on and on and on about my memories as, as a young man growing up here. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. You brought me back. Paradox under where the yeah, old one Kevin Yards. If you didn't go to Paradox <laughs> on a Friday night as a young person from Baltimore, we, we question if you grew up in the city or you grew up in the county. That's what, that's what I always like to say. See, I remember going out Baltimore and playing basketball around 12, 1 o'clock up by uh, what's the Cloverdale. Cloverdale. Open yeah. there in Drew Hill Park, man. Yeah. I remember uh, when I was in college, I used to, my, one of my cousins, uh, they used to be, he used to be one of the people that organized like the, the park, Drew Hill Park basketball game. We worked together for my family's business. And of course I was in like tip top shape because I was still running. So I would go and we were like, yeah, y'all got next. And I would go and run a lap around the, the lake and then come and play. They'd be like, this guy is insane. But yeah, man, it's like Afram, of course. Everybody knows Afram, Stone Soul Picnic. That's like true Baltimore stuff that you can never forget. Yeah, my, I would That's have right. from coming from all over just for Afram. They loved Afram. That was the spot. So you bring back a lot of my good childhood, childhood memories. So in high school, uh, were you ever in like model UN nations? Were you ever on debate teams? Like how, like, you know, introduction well, I, to politics. Were yeah, I, I will tell you this. This is funny. Exactly. If, if they hear it, they appreciate this. Two of my teachers at, at Mervo really wanted me to be in debate. Uh, but let me be very clear. Uh, Coach Hendricks and Coach Neal were having none of that. Uh, uh, I was allowed to do two extra things outside of track. Uh, uh, one. Uh, was they allowed me to be the student member on the school improvement team. Uh, and two, I was forced into the College Bound Foundation program. Everything else was school and track. They kept us very focused, uh, uh, even though I did get to debate in class sometime, and they wanted me to be on the debate team as a choice. But I would say that my, my service really started as in the community as a young kid, right? Uh, my mom tells like these stories about how I would come home and three three different times when I was at Dr. King or Malcolm X, I actually gave my coat to one of my classmates because they didn't have mm. a coat or their family couldn't buy you know mm. afford to buy them a coat. Or when I um, uh, when you think about like uh, one time this is a story this giant when Giant was on Town Road before it was at the Plaza, I ended up even working there later in my life. But my dad and I came outside the store and there was this young lady who 
had a baby and clearly was struggling. She couldn't, she wanted to buy milk from the baby. And we went home, I made my dad get my piggy bank. We took it back and used that to buy the milk. And then really just always being in the neighborhood, trying to clean up. Uh, that's what pushed me in, into service. And I think that really, it really started to grow in me. And then, you know, I always knew uh, because I would pester my, my parents and everyone around me about why things were the way they were in my neighborhood. And my mom just told me one day, if you want to change it, you're going to do it yourself. No one's going to do it for you. No one's coming to save you. Nice. That's nice. That's nice. Now, I went to Kyle St. Mary's. Okay. Uh, you, <laughs> and what did you study? What was your major when you got no, there? Did you know? No track. You running track no there? track. So, St. Mary's so, didn't have no a track? track team. And I, okay. I'll be very clear. Okay. I always tell this because it's so interesting. If I ran, run track in college, I'm probably not talking to you today because uh, we know like how how <laughs> sports and athletes are at colleges where coaches pretty much dictate us, unfortunately, a lot of times what that young people can study and all of those kind of things. At St. Mary's, it was strictly academics mm -hmm. for me, which ended up being the best thing for me. Political science uh, is what I studied at the Center for the Study of Democracy at St. Mary's, uh, which was at the time. Maryland's Public Honors College is now the National Public Honors, Honors College, and they had that bestowed upon us a few years ago. Uh, but this also where like my my ser service and direct service and like elected office where that took off. Right. I was elected to the board of the Black Student Union. Then mm. uh, as the president, I was on the, uh, the student government programs board. One of the people like this helping to work on what kind of programming will be there for students. I served on these multicultural advisory commissions and these other things that the president at St. Mary's ha had me involved on. And, and really, uh, that's where you where you saw me start to uh, uh, serve in a way where we talked about impacting policy uh, at the school, impacting things that were happening on a social level, organizing people. We started a, a mentoring program with a, a high school in St. Mary's County na named Great Mills High School that now everyone knows because we had a school shooting there a few years ago. Uh, that's what really, in St. Mary's, is it, you, me ending up at St. Mary's was the best uh, decision for me uh, that I didn't just make on my own. I walked into my homeroom classroom at Merville one day and and uh, a counselor, college bound counselor, coach, I think my dad was there. And this young lady and young man from St. Mary's who was like, yeah, this is what we think you should go to school. And then I looked up on school, never visited as much as I believed that St. Mary's blue and gold. I never visited until August 31st, 2002. My first day there was literally my first day there. And it was the greatest thing for me, man, because uh, my family at St. Mary's, just like my Mervo family, we are family and, and we are small, but we are mighty. You will not go anywhere in Baltimore, any function, and there will not be more than one of us in a room. But it's also uh, a place where I push myself too. Uh, that's where I really learned to think critically where I really learned a lot about policy and how to, to think about policy and debate policy where my writing skills uh, took off. Uh, it's also where I, I, I used most of my DJing skills that I retired after I left St. Mary's. So uh, it was a great, great place, man. I mean, I built a lot of great relationships, a great foundation to allow me to serve my city. So, you know, you, you leave St. Mary's. What was your first job when you got out of college? Well, after probably going on 100 and something interviews and applying for 300 jobs, I, um, I got, I'll tell you a quick funny story. So I applied for the Baltimore City 
uh, uh, school's teaching residency. I didn't get it. I applied to be a, a to work in the uh, health department's Operation Safe Kids. They work with at-risk young people in Baltimore City. Didn't get it. They actually hired somebody that I used to tutor, which was funny. Mm. Uh, didn't get it. But everything happens for a reason. I end up getting an interview uh, at Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Maryland and just happened to my first, my first, who will be my first boss, Cindy Wyant, impressed her in an interview. And she looks at me at the end and says, you went to St. Mary's College? I'm like, yes. She's like, the person that uh, you're that you're trying to replace went to St. Mary's College. And that's why they gave me the job. <laughs> and I started there running mentoring programs for schools in the city uh, at Mervo and Guilford Elementary, also some in Baltimore County, Howard County, Hartford County, and Anne Arundel. And at the same time, I uh, also then uh, started doing some work uh, at Coppin State, doing some work with some folks there. Uh, give me one second doing some work with some folks there around blackmail engagement as well. This episode of No Picks After Dark Podcast is sponsored by the Charm City Craft Mafia, Baltimore's best local craft fair, presenting Holiday Heap, a virtual craft show the first weekend in December featuring handmade stationery, apparel, jewelry, ceramics, wall art, body care, small batch food gifts, and more. Crafted by makers in Baltimore and the region. Holiday Heap is Friday through Sunday, December 4th through the 6th. More at CharmCityCraftMafia.com and on Instagram and Facebook at CharmCityCraftMafia. Let's transition here. How do we get in politics? Why do you want to be in a public? I always ask people this. Why do you want to be in a public eye? Why do you want to be scrutinized? I always question that because... I mean, it's a public servant job, but your whole life is open book at this point. Yeah, I guess for me that that doesn't that didn't bother me. Right. When because I think that's like the way I was brought up to know that I wasn't special and that you just did your job no matter what. You treated everyone the same, but that you always had to carry yourself with dignity and respect and treat everyone with dignity and respect. And then also. Uh, when you run track at Mervo, one of the most popular sports teams in the city and in the state and the country at that time, we always had an eye on us. And coach would always say, like, you guys got to carry yourselves. So you're representing that M. You're not just mm-hmm. representing yourself. So when you grow up that way uh, and that St. Mary's, you know, being a student leadership where uh, one of my friends, my best friend from from St. Mary's, his name is Brandon, too. We just mirror each other. He grew up in D.C. I grew up in Baltimore. Uh, we were having a discussion while there was this big incident around uh, uh, this racial incident on campus one year. And our mm. dean at the time of student affairs, vice president for student affairs, Dean Freeman, never left his house. He called us at like 11 p.m. Uh, that that night and said, when I get to work tomorrow morning, I want you all in my office and I want you all to have it fixed. So when you have that kind of, of responsibility at a young age, it just grows you accept that being a part of life. I actually uh, came to City Hall first after applying for the vacancy in the 6th District because I was still living in Park Heights at the time and then uh, didn't get it. They gave it to the council vice president, who, by the way, was the person that just called me and interrupted the Zoom, but it's OK. <laughs> uh, uh, and I love it to death. And then uh, became a staffer working first in the office of the council president, but then council president Rawlins Blake. Uh, and 
those four years of service there in the mayor's office of neighborhoods and criminal justice and in rec and park to experiences that you can never replace uh, before deciding to run on my own in 2011. Wow. Wow. I mean, again, folks, you listen to this uh, trailblazer right here going through telling you each step of the way of how it really goes down. And, and it's just amazing to hear all this and understand the process, how it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. So what trials and tribulations did you run into when you first ran for office and you got, and you won? Like what's the first, you first lost or not lost. You got, did get picked, correct? And then when you ran the next time, what things did you learn from yourself, like trials that you're like, wow, I won't do this this time. You know, things of that nature. Well, it was funny because my first election, let me be very clear. (laughs) uh, um, Probably even though it's it's, uh, aside from, this uh, past election is the one that I had to work the hardest. Uh, my first election was one of the easiest because it was a unique situation because I was running one out of six people. Uh, the sitting council person came to me and said, basically, he didn't want to run against me. He was going to support me. He was ready to retire. And the community in the area at that point, because of me working as a neighborhood liaison, being in, living in that community, being active, I was on the board of my community association, uh, Frankfurt, which actually was the largest, uh, uh, it's the largest neighborhood in my old district, right? Uh, it, they knew who I was versus these other folks that were running that they had no mm-hmm. clue. So the, the, the interesting thing was that I didn't hear uh, when I was 27 years old and running that I was too young, right? Or I didn't have, like, I didn't hear that. I had to hear that at 36, which is ironic. Uh, after at that point at 36 with me, then having 13 years of experience for someone to say that. But uh, the first time I didn't see that, but there are always going to be obstacles, right? And when you think about uh, being on a council where at that time there was only two of us under the age of forty, under the age of forty, at the me and and then Councilman Mosby, Delegate Mosby. Uh, now, uh, working with folks who, when you're talking about like dealing with data and technology, who it's not a bad thing, but that's not their strong point because they were used to a different way, right? So uh, that was the, the frustrating part, being not being able to push as hard and fast as possible. But that's also what inspired me to go out and try to bring in the troops. And that's why, you know, working uh, to bring on uh, working for other people. That's what I spent my time doing in 2016 was helping to get the Shannon Sneeze, the Chris Burnett's, the John Bullock's of the world elected so that we can have a, a new era of, of the city council. It's interesting you say that. I moved back to Baltimore, um, I went to Syracuse for college. And I, I lived in Jersey for a little bit. Nobody's perfect, brother. <laughs> <laughs> can't, be, can't, can't be an orange. Can't be an orange. It's all right, though. But uh, I moved back in 05. And I remember I never knew who was the city council and person in my district. I never saw a city council person in my district. I lived, I lived off of uh, Northgate and um, Cold Spring, up that mm. way. Hillen, you know. And never saw us. And you know who I'm talking about. Never mm. saw him. And the first person I ever saw that came and knocked on my door was Councilman Ryan Dorsey. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? That's crazy. Never, not, never, but never that's came to my door. Time. That's not the first time I hear that, man. When I was knocking on doors the first time, right? It was like the first ever that ever came to my door, ever. Right. And we're talking about folks who live in Northeast Baltimore who 
you know, they've been, some of my neighbors been in the house since it was built. Mm. Right. But the, it goes the same thing for service. Like our, when I ran for reelection in 2016, we ran like Facebook commercials in just my district uh, where we had folks testifying like, Oh, I've been living in my house since 1950 or whatever. And my street never got plowed until Brandon became my council person. Something that simple for folks, right? Like, you know, there was a, a young lady who had literally a forest growing behind her house uh, that was they had been trying to deal with for years and years and years. Uh, but that that just shows you how you can push and usher in a new level of, of accountability and responsibility uh, by just doing doing what you're supposed to do and communicating with people. And I, again, that that is, I like hearing those type of stories. I know my audience will love hearing this type of type of information from you. Now, are you a natural born leader? And did you have leaders? Did you have to learn that? Was there somebody you looked up to to, to have that leadership quality? Well, if you if you ask my family, I've always been, as they would say bossy and organizing people right uh sometimes as a young man sometimes for good sometimes for bad uh, my brothers and i got into a lot of trouble uh you know i was known to sometimes be a little mischievous or in some cases lead my classes in high school and other things and uh was known as revolts that ultimately i won't go into the story but uh me and one of my teachers at mervo we had it out for over a year period because I thought that, you know, she was treating me and my classmates unfairly and particularly me for some reason. And we ended up, the school system ended up agreeing because that young lady didn't come back and didn't come back to be a teacher at all. And mm -hmm. we find, find, found out through some friends from Mervo that left before us that it wasn't the first time. We were just the first ones to say no. But anyway, uh, I think that becomes a lot for my family. Because my family have always seen that, right? It's the history of my family. My grandparents, uh, my dad's parents from down in, on our farm in North Carolina, they were always galvanizing the community. My, my grandmother, my grandfather, my mom's parents here, they were always organizing people. Like both my parents, actually, uh, they, they I always talk about, they coached uh, my little brothers on separate uh, little league teams just so that there more kids and then in the neighborhood could play on a team because they needed to have two. It's just a part. And that's, that's really who I look up to is my, my family, because that's what they do, right? My parents, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles are making sure that everybody, especially those who, who have less than us. Uh, uh, and for, for me now, I think about that in a different way, because I'm thinking about, we, you know, we didn't have much when we were growing up, but and there, from their mindset, what they had, what we had then was so much more than what they grew up in, in the rural poverty in the South, right? So I think uh, that that to me and them having the vision, that's what I look up and that's what inspires me to be better every day, to make sure that I'm taking the next step in my generation. Hey, you just answered my next question, actually. Who was a big influence? And it sounds like you uh, answered that right away with a big influence on your life. Sounds like the whole family, the parents, everybody. It's a beautiful thing. It's all about family. I like family. I like hearing about family. Uh, that's one of the things about the podcast. It's all about positive Baltimore stories. That's right. It's successful. I, I won. I don't know if you know, I just won Baltimore Magazine Best Podcast. Congratulations. And, Balt and Baltimore Sun. Congratulations. So, Congratulations. Yeah, I appreciate it. And like a lot of everybody, just, it's one of those things where everybody, people have hit me back. You're talking about positive Baltimore stories that we need to hear. And that's we right. love hearing it because every time they turn on the, Alphabet news, something negative every day. 
and they want to hear something positive. And that's, and you know, and I love doing it and Northeast Baltimore has embraced me. So I love hearing what you're talking about family and how they've influenced you. I like that a lot. Um, so we're in uncharted waters right now in Baltimore city. What are you hearing from people in Baltimore about COVID-19? You know, are we ever going to get back to the norm? Uh, you know, I'm at the point right now, you know, it's everybody's stir crazy. <laughs> you know, we're, we're getting to the point where, what, what are you hearing? Well, you hear everything, man. One, you, unfortunately, you hear, I'm hearing from different people of different things, right? You know, some people are taking it very seriously, are, are stare crazy, worried about their jobs, worried about their family, worried about their kids and learning. You have some folks who are still being reckless. And if if anybody hear me is being reckless, not wearing a mask, going out, not practicing social distancing and is complaining about nothing, being open or getting back to normal, you are the reason why it's not going to get back to normal because this is real. It is still killing people in Baltimore and as we know, our numbers, younger people are leading leading it when you add up the ages between 20 and, and, and 40. Uh, we have to understand that. But also a lot of people are concerned, right, with the services impact and people are waiting on a, a vaccine. But overall, people are handling a lot better uh, uh, than we were at first. Uh, we've seen some progress. Our numbers are looking a lot better. We are also be very clear. We're never going back to the way that we were before. That's simply not happening. First of all, normal wasn't good enough for all of us. That's the truth. We have to understand that this, these inequities that COVID has it, it, it's highlighted were there before. Uh, we have to work on them in a much more deeper way, but also just from a health standpoint, right? Not going back, right? Expect that you're probably going to wear masks like for the rest of your life. That's not going to be something that's going to go away, that there's going to be some virtual component to everything you do. Uh, we have to take it very seriously as we push through it, especially now with flu season coming up. Get a flu shot, too, because you don't want to be somewhere not knowing you have the flu or COVID. Just be safe and responsible, everybody, so that we all can be healthy and alive. And just a little, just a little add on to that. Just I mean, I know a lot of businesses are worried wintertime coming up. I mean, I'm, it's, I'm just throwing this in here. What are your thoughts? Just what is city? What do you think the city is thinking about just as far as it's going to get cold? <laughs> it's going to get real cold real quick and you get nervous, you know, I mean. Any thought? What's the business community's response to you reaching out to Baltimore City, the, the whole council? Yeah, we, it, that's why we've been able to push some more money out for for businesses. I know I've reached out to the the current mayor and trying to figure out ways like other cities to provide help to do outdoor dining through the winter. I think that that's those kind of things that we have to do and push because we need to keep our businesses open so that our neighborhoods stay vibrant and people stay employed. Thank you, thank you, appreciate that. So. I've noticed you always reach out to the youth. I always, you know, you had a, something you, where you talked about maybe lowering the age for voting. And I thought that was fascinating. Uh, why is it? Why is that so important to you? I always ask that. Why is that so? I always wonder that about you. Well, it's so important because you, for one, I used to be them not too long ago. And I know how it is to live in a city where only one elected official, Elijah Cummins, ever came to my school. Ever, I ever felt like I could touch him, that he was real. Everyone else looked like they were, you know, high on the hog. And that's why uh, you you will you will find many young people uh, uh, 
now that, you know, they say to me that you will be in the store for me. And they were like, you spoke at my fifth grade, eighth grade and 12th grade graduation, right? <laughs> like, because that has always been my focus. The hardest part about COVID for me is I had been able to go to schools, and hang out in schools for hours at a time. Because if you really want to uh, say that our young people are our future and for me, they're not just our future, they are now. You have to spend time and invest with them. It's not just money. They have to mm. see you. They have to be able to feel you. They have to be able to pressure you. You have to be able to help help them grow because I have to be for them what nobody was for me to show mm. them that people like them from a neighborhood like theirs can do whatever they set their minds to and to be there also to support them in many different ways. For me, you know, I coached East Coast basketball uh, before I became the council president, was helping to run Volo City uh, Flag Football League, which I was coaching football into. Uh, and just to, to be able to help directly those young men and women and impact their lives in a positive way has always been a focus for me. Okay. So a lot of Northeast people, like myself, uh, we wonder, why would you move over to Northeast Baltimore? Um, and why do you like living over here? And because well, we want to hear, we want to hear from you because we, you know, we just talked. I'm down the street from you, and you know, I have the Harford Corridor, Bel Air Corridor, and we we always wonder, like, why Northeast? Give a shout out to Northeast here. So this this should be a secret to everyone. I traveled from to Northeast Baltimore from Park Heights for high school, and I ran track and cross country. So I spent uh, the ages of 14 through 18 literally running around Northeast Baltimore, and that's how I fell in love with with the neighborhood and had the opportunity to move here. Uh, she's over 11 years ago now and been living here ever since uh, because it's, just, it's a neighborhood that I love, right? It's close to Lake Montebello. I can get to Mervo very quickly, uh, uh, get the Cocos as quick as I want, and, you know, and it's just, I fell in love with the area uh, as a young man and have always uh, looked at it as a great place in the city. All right. So tell the listeners, because I have a lot of people from outside of Baltimore, why Baltimore is a beautiful place to live, to work, and to raise your children. So Baltimore is a beautiful place because we are a real city. Uh, you are not, you're going to get a real city with real culture. Yes, we have issues that we have to address and we will address them. But if you want to live in a place where you are not going to get a, a, a culture of another city implanted there, that you're going to get real people who that will talk to you with real neighborhoods that have history and character uh, where you're able to uh, see a lot, where you can be in the heart of a city when you get to restaurants and a national curry and an inner harbor, but in the same city, you can get out to a park and see nature. You can live in a neighborhood where there's fox, or you can live in a neighborhood where you can see water uh, or, or sit there. Right? I think that that's truly what makes Baltimore the best, the different stocks of housing, the fact that we are a city of neighborhoods in every single neighborhood, really every single block has its own story. So that's truly Truly, I believe what makes Baltimore such a great city. Thank you, thank you. Um, so, what would you tell a, a kid um, about their dreams? Like, you know, you talked about how you started from Park Heights, and you know, and you right now are city council president right now. What's the story you tell people when kids say, "I aspire to be like what you're doing right now"? How do you come? How do you say that? Well, the first thing I tell them is that I. I don't want them they when they say i want to be just like you i'm very quick to tell them no i want you to be better than me 
at every single thing, every single job that I've ever had, because I went through the things that I went through so that they don't have to. I'm, I want to be, I always say someone has to be the first one to rush the door. Because if mm. you if you get in, then the next person doesn't have to rush the door. If you don't, then the hinges are a little more uh, more loose, right? I want to make it easier for them. But I always tell them this: that no one, no one but them, uh, can prevent them from being their greatest selves. Uh, when you hear all the time in Baltimore that they're limited, we're limited as young people and young black men in particular growing up in our city. I always tell them, look at me. They told me the same thing. They told me that I couldn't be on the city council. Wrong. They told me I couldn't become the council president. Wrong. They told me I couldn't uh, become the Democratic nominee for mayor. Wrong. You can do whatever you want, but you have to carry yourself like the ultimate thing that you want to be right now as a young man. You have to work hard every day. You have to treat everyone with dignity and respect. You have to make sure that the people around you also want to soar because they will only be as, as, as strong or successful as the people around them as well. They have to be able to challenge and hold their friends accountable and they have to want more for themselves than anybody else does. And I know, you know, I have to jump in a second, but I wanted to get that out too. Hey, no problem. I know you have to go. And again, I appreciate you. You want to go to these rapid, rapid fires or something? Hey, like I said, I know you're, you got a short time. We can go through these rapid fires really quickly. Okay. Rapid fire. What inspires you every day? Uh, when I look in the, the eyes of our young people in Baltimore and hear uh, the greatness that comes from them, but also Baltimoreans, right? Uh, being out every weekend when I have volunteers coming from all over the city to help clean up neighborhoods, that's the hope in Baltimore. The people are the hope in Baltimore. And that's what inspires me. Your favorite author? Oh, my favorite author. That's the easy one. Malcolm X. Favorite musician? Oh, man, that's a tough one for me. Jeez. Um you can, you can you can name a group, you can name two or three. If I got if I gotta do a group, it's real easy. Wu Tang Forever. If I have to okay. name an individual, individual musician, I would have to say uh James Brown. Best crab kick, I already know. Yeah. Come on, Best man. Crab. It's Coco. <laughs> Coco's. Your favorite verses. What was your favorite verses of all time? The, my favorite verses so far, <laughs> actually, my favorite verses was actually Premier versus RZA because I'm a '90s hip hop head. So, like that, like that. Flats or drums? Neither. I don't eat meat. Okay. All right. Best brunch in Baltimore? I don't brunch either. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I respect it. I respect it. Favorite city to visit? <laughs> Other than Baltimore, Toronto. Favorite local beer? I don't drink. Favorite brewery? If favorite brewery or a place to hang out like that would be either Monument or Old Line. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received? Be yourself at all times, no matter the cost. Favorite place to take a visitor from out of town? Favorite place? Oh, well, that's Coco's, man. You got to give them the best crab cake if they would come to Baltimore. And where can people find you on social media? Council Prez, P-R-E-S-B-M-S on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hey, you're off the hot seat, Council President. Brand Sky, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. And good luck as the Democratic nominee for Baltimore City uh, Mayor. We Thank really you. appreciate you. Thank you, brother. Thank Have you nice so week. much. Thank you. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you.